Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit Podcast. This is episode 130. Oh, it hurts my very soul to say it, and this is another pit spit. Yeah, it's a pit spit! Yeah, we're working that title. It's sticking, I'm telling you, man. It's the best title we could come up with. We've got a competition on the go. We can't just say nobody gets a prize. I'm not giving you the prize. Send it to me! No! Then I can f- you can film me kicking it in front of a Piccadilly Lion train. <laughs> <laughs> Marlin, there's your game. Under a train, let's move on. You know you can get a penny and make it like six inches long. I wonder how long I could make a Chris Marlin game by putting it under the wheels of... Let's say 20 trains. What was the famous uh, Tony Boydell game that people had the geek list of just them destroying it? Stop talking. Stop talking. Scandaroon. That's it. Should we start a Marlin geek list with that? (laughs) People would have to buy it first, though. We'd be making people buy his games, which would make them appear to be more popular. We should we should get Angus at Board Game Guru to start giving out free copies of Empire Engine just to tank the price. It's like the opposite of a protected price. Going back to the competition, yeah, there are some that we definitely like. I'm trying to convince Ronan on a couple, but he's he's holding. Uh, we we like Chattering Bones, but it finishes with bones, and we already have picking over the bones, and we thought people would get confused. <laughs> It's not as catchy as Pit's Pit. Yeah, I'm doing a Pit's Pit, man. It's no Pit Patter, but... Again, like every episode you're going to mention, that rubbish name you come up with. Pitter Patter was better, by the way. You reckon? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was more Pity Pit Patter. No. Uh, Pitter Patter, definitely. Whatever. I could have realised the word Pit was hidden in the statement Pitter Patter. No, I could no. work that out. You're a blithering idiot. You would never have seen Well, it. all right. Yeah, and even I could work it out. So I don't know what lowest denominator you're aiming at by shortening it to pit patter. Sure, well, what are we even doing today? We are talking about six games each we've played, and we're on a, right at the end we're going to talk about a Kickstarter game that we may or may not have backed. Uh, yeah, Kickstarter game or games that we're, we're sniffing at or backing or what have you. That's right at the end, though. First of all, six games we've played. You're going to kick us off with, I will say, a game from a company that is falling on hard times around this household. Yeah, so just to set the scene, it was my wife's birthday in January, just gone, and we popped down to pretty much our favourite games cafe, which is Thirsty Meeples in Oxford. Oxford's a lovely place to go anyway. And Thirsty Not to park in, though. Not to park in, no, no, unless you unless you have a spare 50 quid for the day. But, yeah, Thirsty Meeples, really good selection and great place to just go and play games that you're not going to buy and you just want to try. So we went- Can I just say that this promotion was not paid for. <laughs> so, How are you hired by so, them? Will they give you free sausage roll? What's going on? Well, we can we can only hope. I'll send them, I'll send them the copy. Of this. <laughs> Just literally give me a sausage roll. That that will do me. I really like sausage rolls. <laughs> so yeah, we went down there. Nat picked out the river by Sebastian Pochon and Ismail Perrin from Days of Wonder, being the company that Ronan has alluded to just before, and. Ronan, she looks beautiful. Hold on, hold on. The game or Natalie? Because I need to know how to answer here. Both. Both. Okay. But Natalie isn't plodding, simple and unimaginative. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know I'm going to edit that. This episode of the Game Pit has been sponsored by Divorce Lawyers for You. <laughs> Plodding, simple, and what? Unimaginative. Oh, damn, son. That seems to be their their publishing mo recently, no? Pretty much. I think they've outdone themselves with this one, and I do see love for this one, and I do I see love some in some areas, and I just don't understand it. You couldn't find a more tiring, just monotonous plod of a game. It just it's it's, it's stuff that we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of time, and even in the early incarnations of of just simple worker placement and economy and resource management, it was done so much better. And I don't understand why Days of Wonder felt that the market needed a game like this. Ouch. I did my usual trawl of the BGG comments to come up with a couple Good of questions. But I'm not sure it's worth it. I'm not sure there's anything more you can say. I was, like, there's a there's a funny thing a lot of people have moaned about is that, and I don't I know anything about the game to be honest with you. I got a couple of you know secondhand reviews that first came out. People tried it, went, don't bother. It's boring. It's simple, and nothing else I've heard has changed my mind. But there was something said that there's a loss of meeples for the leaders. You you burn up your meeples which forces the scoring always to be close, no matter what anyone's done, which is a horrific game mechanism. <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't really have a lot to do on your turns anyway. Like, a, a round goes very quickly. And even, so you're building up your tableau as well, and you're trying to match certain terrain types. And if that terrain type comes at the right time, you can have it. But if it doesn't, it's tough luck. It's a... It's, it's just not very well done, Ronan. Damn. Okay. You know, I almost fell into a trap, though, when I was going to ask you questions. Go on. Because someone said that they played it with their eight-year-old daughter and she was bored and it was too simple for her. And I was like, oh, so maybe would you think about playing it with James? But that sort of is the thing that I moan about when it comes to designing games for kids. You don't make them simple. You make them simple but fun. So just because it's simple doesn't mean it would suit kids. But I guess I'm going to ask you that rubbish question anyway. Any thoughts that maybe paint it with James? Exactly what you just said, Ronan. So when 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 he's learning a mechanism and learning something, if that mechanism isn't fun to him and if he's not enjoying himself, he he just won't. He won't be interested and he won't learn anything. The the best games are things that he just thinks he's having loads of fun, but then actually when he steps away from it and a week later or two weeks later thinks. Actually, I've learned like I've learned something. Now I can go to this game and apply what I've learned from there onto this. I didn't even know I was learning it. And then he's obviously on the next step of game, next stage of game with things like My Little Scythe that we've uh, we reviewed. So things like that are so much more innovative and and challenging for him compared to this, which is I, I don't want to be too scathing of it because. You're too late well, for that. Know, yeah, I was going to call it dross. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, but stuff dross like this, it just doesn't. It doesn't appeal to to anyone really. An adult, I think, would be offended, and you would turn them out away from the, the hot- offended. Maybe if they're a big fan of rivers and you've misused. <laughs> I like water. <laughs> no, not enough oxbow lakes. I don't know what are you trying to say. 
I think if you sold it to an adult and said, listen, this is a proper hobby game, a new a new good person to the hobby, they would be quite offended and thought, well, this is what you're going on about. I, I could have picked that up quite easily. Okay. I've got a box here which has some dross in it and maybe something that isn't quite so drossy. Maiden's Quest. It's from Kenneth Shannon III. It's the one to allegedly five-player game. It's not. It's a one-player game. It takes 20 minutes for with kids. It's a deck of cards, Sean. Sure. Now... There's a whole bunch of cards within the box and you construct a deck which is going to form its own puzzle. And you are a maiden who's been in a tower and you've broken out of your room. You've taken some stuff with you and then you're going to cycle through this deck a few times over the course of the game. There's a captor in there. There are various captors you can put in and they have different ways in which you can defeat them. Also, there's going to be a special dress you've chosen which will give you special powers. There are other obstacles in there, monsters and things and like traps and doors that you're going to look to try and get through and overcome. And as you go through the deck, each time you cycle through it, the level that you're going through it increases which opens up more and more of those obstacles that you have to face as you go through it. When you face an encounter, you can choose to run which gives you one damage or you can choose to try and beat it, and then you'll fan out the next five cards. And these cards have symbols down the top left-hand side. And each encounter that you face has to have a certain set number of symbols of different types in order to defeat it. And once you defeat it, you flip it over and you get a reward. If you don't defeat it, then you're going to take damage. And damage is with these cards, they come in four different configurations. So they can be front or back, and they can be upside down or right way round. And those symbols in the top left will change each time you damage it or repair it or move it to its best. And some Sometimes, in fact, when they get damaged, they get better. But when they get damaged all the way down to grey and they're destroyed, they're never again useful for you. You can't heal them again. And every time you're looking to manipulate how you're upgrading the cards in your deck in order to face the certain challenges that are within the deck, because, again, those are randomised each time. And every deck is its own self-contained puzzle, which will be different every time you wish to play the game. Ronan, am I right in thinking that this is the one... That yourself and Eric Summerer had real problems with the rule book. It's uh am I allowed to say friggin' on this podcast? <laughs> Probably not, but you just did. <laughs> disaster. It's a that disaster it's just beyond the beyond. It's the worst rule book I can think of at the moment. It's got fifteen pages of telling you information that is absolutely useless because you don't know what you're doing until it then gets to telling you how to play the game and what it does is oh and and at this stage it's this rule that I've referred to earlier and it's also this rule that I've referred to earlier where did you refer to it in this 15 you're not even going to tell me where the rule is so I have to memorise these 15 pages before I get to the how to play who presumes I've memorised the first 15 pages shocking (laughs) so okay rule book aside I saw this sitting on your coffee table after you'd purchased it. Doesn't stand out from the crowd. Where did you hear about it? What made you buy it? Uh, it was when the new releases come out each week in the UK. I'll click on a couple of sites and just see what what they're getting in that will come in on the next Tuesday. And most games that come out, I will at least have a quick glance over. And just see what it is. Oh, it's a war game. Oh, it's a hex encounter game. And this one happens to be a solo game. And because it had that theme of you're a maiden who's taking... There's actually um, saviours within the deck. And they're all... I think they're all fellas that have come to rescue you. And they're all a bit of a disaster. Because one side of them's good and one side of them bad. So they can hinder you or help you. And I kind of like that tongue in cheat thing of... Look, if these 
saviors get out of the way, you'll be more efficient in just dealing with your stuff yourself. And obviously having the two daughters, I thought, let me, this is interesting. Let me have a go at it and see how that theme works and see if it is, you know, it's not another male-focused game. And that's pretty much what pulled me in. And then the fact that it's a solo puzzle, I like the idea of that. And then the more I learned of it, the more I was intrigued that, in effect, what I can do with this box is pick it up, assemble the deck as you do, chuck it in a baggie, have it in my bag, and then if I'm on a train ride or I'm at work, I can pull it out and I can just start playing. And if I don't get to finish it, I'll just put it back in the baggie and I'll pick it up again and I'll continue playing from where I was. And then if I don't beat it on that first go-through, I can just shuffle that deck up and it becomes a slightly different puzzle, but I am more aware of the elements that are now within that deck and maybe I can have, I can manage them a bit better. And I can, and because you're shuffling the deck every time you cycle through it, it's, it changes each time. And it's so flexible and it's really, really addictive. So you asked me how I got into it, that's how I got into it. But I could see some of those elements I hoped when I was learning about it. I tried to read the rule book. It was like unedited design notes, but I, I got through that. Overall, did you enjoy the game? Was it worth the buy? It is incredibly addictive. We were coming back from, I think it was when we went to like a Harry Potter place to make cocktails. I think it was that day. And we were coming back on the train and, you know, Rachel gets a book out and puts it in her I'll put it in my earphones, I'll read a book or whatever. We don't need to chat to each other the whole train journey. We were on trainees, trains a lot together. And I just got out Maiden's Quest because I thought I was going to be by myself for a while earlier, so I brought it out with me. And I started playing it, and she was like, what is it? And I just chatted to her a bit about it. She was like, all right. And I was like, yeah, do you want to play it a bit? She played it a bit. That evening, when we got home, she made a deck, I made a deck, and we sat next to each other playing a solo game each for about an hour because it's just like oh it's really annoying oh god oh I should have done that or oh. right, I'm just going to try again and see if I can beat it and it's got a real addiction to it so if you can get through the rule book and learn it it's really worth a go it's inexpensive it's small it's flexible there's stupid rules about if you meet someone else who's got a deck you can help each other out that's what the whole five player thing is it's utter nonsense it's a solo game but it's a really good solo game complete winner for me for gameplay Maiden's Quest very good okay so Moving on, second game that we tried in Oxford was a game called Imaginarium, designed by the very famous Bruno Cathala and Florian Syria, and coming from Bombix. Now, I can't really tell you much about what this game's about, Ronan. Something about shaping dreams in a weird altered reality-type place. It's a worker placement game with some interesting mechanisms in that... There's a, almost like a conveyor belt going on, and the further you place away from from your starting position, the 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 latter you go in the turn order. So, and you're trying to shape these dreams. There's attack cards, and there's it's an economy game where you're building up things to to create these dreams and what have you. Again, Ronan. The, the look of this game is designed to be weird and and otherworldly, but it just freaked me out. It's, it was too weird. I was going to ask you what your opinion was because I, I've done my comments trawling again. <laughs> so I'll throw, I'll throw four comments that are on there. Great, weird, beautiful visual treat made me feel queasy. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not all from the same queasy. person by the way yeah definitely. it made me feel queasy <laughs> well, like when you when you trash a card there's this this malt 
at the end, <laughs> end of the thing. It's just like a set of teeth. Are you saying mouth? I'm saying mouth in the way malt. that we say malt. <laughs> okay. And, it, yeah, it's just this massive mouth on on the board. And I've linked the picture to the tiger spider-eyed thing. <coughs> the, you go, go back through our Twitter feed or our Instagram feed and be prepared to have nightmares for at least a month. <laughs> okay. That thing got into my soul. It was the single scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my in a board game. It, it's it's quite highly rated. It's got an average rating of seven point two. Right, caveat. Yeah, we played the the two player game, which comes again with a variant, and because I think largely because of the variant it was just monotonous because you not only have to place your own worker down you've got to place the one for the the bot each so you and then the when you're doing the the actions you have to take the card away from them and do their bit so it just became this a never-ending system is just place one worker, place one for the bot, place one worker, place one for the bot, do your action, do the bot action, do your... And it just... It, it wasn't interesting enough to to get past that for us. The create... the the When you boil it down, again, not as bad as the river, but it's very, very basic in what you're doing. You're creating, you're putting resources together to build things that do something small to help you in the game and that that's pretty much it the the fantastical art and the weird art whatever you want to call it the queasy art it's just all it's, it all happens around you it's not part of the game really so why would you think it would have that pretty decent average rating then because it's, it's hundreds of ratings it's not from a few people I think it makes... Well, some people love the art, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I, think, I think the art actually does make thematic sense you know, that you're in this uh, dream world and you're creating these dreams and sometimes nightmares are going to attack and things like that. So that that does happen. Also, myself and Natalie don't really attack each other in games. So not only are we playing the, the with the bot, the two-player ver- version which is just adding extra fluff for the sake of it, that we have to do the upkeep for. We're also not exploring a large part of the game in the attacking side. And I think with a with a higher player count and with a, a group that are prepared to attack each other, I think that's probably where the game probably improves. Okay, so Imaginarium, not a two-player game, would suit certain groups. Have a look at the art style to see if it suits you. Yeah, yeah. Give it, give it a go. Don't don't rule it out, but give it, give it a go. Okay. Can I tell you my favourite comment on Board Game Geek on it? Go on. It just says, "Mommy." <laughs> that's <laughs> that's off, it. That's after seeing the tiger spider thing. Got <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> that tickled me that might be the basis of all my comments from now on right we're going to move on to another little kooky dookie card game that I've been playing quite a lot of it's Mayfly Kayu Takai 2-4 player 20 minutes co-op allegedly published by I Cannot Live By Myself now I've been talking to the BGG admins about this Sean because I've, I've got on a situation here go on then explain I think that's the tagline to the game because the rules leaflet says it's published by a company called Hitoiki and there's a 
website called Hitoiki Games. Now, I can't read it because it's in Japanese, so I can't say for sure, <laughs> but I put in the corrections of BGG and they overruled me and said, but if you want to talk to the Japanese games expert, he's an English dude, he, uh, send him a, a message. So I did. <laughs> I sort of appealed my quashing of my correction. <laughs> that doesn't make me sound good, does it? <laughs> I, I had something rejected actually recently. I was uh, yeah, I put in a photo. By the way, this is the only time I've ever put in a correction on BGJ. Well, people think this is a habit of mine. I just thought they had the wrong publisher. Carry on. So yeah, I put in a, I put in a photo that was supposed to be like some of it is blurred, and so that you get the focus. It was um, Sagrada. Right. Uh, I think it's actually the thing that we use on one of our one of our headings. It might be the YouTube. Heading. On YouTube, yeah, yeah. 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 So you've got. I was the, going to tell you to you, change that. By the way, it's been up for ages. Yeah, it has been up for ages. <laughs> like, so you've got like the like the the in focus dice at the front. So the camera's right down with the dice themselves, and obviously as they go f- further out, they they get more and more blurred. And that's the whole point is that it's as it gets clearer, they become more in focus. And uh, yeah, they they refused it because it was partially out of focus. Yeah, poor camera work. <laughs> this is for factual photos, not for your so-called art, Sean. No, there is an art section. You can you can say it's for the art of well, the game. No, apparently not. Apparently not. The art of the game, not the art of you. We don't want creativity. This is a database. <laughs> All right, I'd rather it was just an Excel spreadsheet that you need to write formulas for in order to get to any content. I also got thrown out of a picture of the year. For the for the say for a similar picture of Sagrada, that uh, because I was a, I, I posted it a, a day into twenty nineteen. Well, you're breaking the rules. I didn't, I didn't break the rules. Well, we you're like rebel like a fu- I didn't know this side of you existed. There you go. The madman on his motorbike with a camera taking out a focus <laughs> photos of games, thinking he rules the place. Throwing Sagrada into random conversations. Rebel without a clue. <laughs> Shall I talk about Mayfly? No, it's supposed to be a, all right. to be a rambling, talk about anything. Do I anything? We'll be here all day. Mayfly. So it's a co-op card game. And you start with a, it's in phases, two phases. There's a larvae phase and an adult phase. In the larvae phase, you've everyone's got a hand of cards and you're try, you put cards face down and there's a row of three of them and, and the next player picks up the first card and it's going to have an amount of food on there. And you look at your larvae, and it's got eight possible spaces in its stomach. And it starts with six of them filled with food. And you see if there's space for the amount of food on this card to be fed to the larvae. And if there is, you tuck it into the box. And it fills up, and then the larvae eats depending on what size it is, because it can grow size one, two, or three, and that's how much food it eats. If ever the larvae tries to eat, and there's no food in it, the larvae dies and you've lost the game. Equally, if ever you try and feed it and there's not enough room in its stomach, that card gets put to one side and it won't eat anything this turn. And you're trying to get the biggest cards into its stomach you can because if it survives and the draw deck runs out, you shuffle all the cards that are in its stomach and deal them out to everyone. And then it comes back as an adult. It can't eat anymore. And it always has eight health, no matter how much food it ate or what it ended the larvae stage with. And then you've got four obstacles to get past. And you flip an obstacle and the next player decides whether to play a card or pass or run. And only the first player can run it. It costs you one of your eight tokens to run away. And then you replace the obstacle with another card. Or they can say, we are we are going to encounter this obstacle, but I pass. And it goes to the next player. And they can choose whether to play a card or not. It will cost you one of your eight tokens to play a card. Or pass. And you go round and round and round. Once you decide to fight it, eventually you're going to have to play cards because there's no other way to get out of the game. And 
once you've played enough hearts of the card, which are different to the food, but are quite often linked, like the biggest food cards will quite often be the biggest heart cards. Once you've played enough hearts to match the hearts on the obstacle, you'll move on to the next obstacle. But you've got four obstacles and you've only got eight tokens. So you can't run away very often and you're averaging a maximum of playing two cards defeat each obstacle so it's a very very tight carp game it's supposed to last about the length of a mayfly's life if you get through the four obstacles you get to a mate card at the end of the row and depending on what you've you've used and, and fed the mayfly it will depend upon what your result will be you'll flip the card over and read a little story and we previewed it sean and it's unique thematically it's quite different mechanically as well and I was really, really charmed the first two or three times I played it. Yeah, it was the, it was a double treasure for one of our uh, Essen treasure hunts, wasn't it? It definitely had me intrigued, and that that sort of two two tier. So you, obviously, what you do in the first half of the game has massive repercussions on what happens and what you do in the second half of the game. Yeah, and I was really, and I still am really interested in playing it. So. I'm a bit worried though, Ronan. You said you were charmed the first few times you played it. Does that mean it's it's waned? I almost want to stop talking <laughs> because I'm just going to ruin it for people because I'd love for people to be able to play it a couple of times, lose, because you'll definitely lose, and just enjoy the fact that it's such a different game. When you get to repeated plays, it becomes very apparent it's it's a maths puzzle and it's a really, really tight maths puzzle and it's very difficult and it's partly dependent upon card draw. If you get a certain card draw, you cannot win the game and quite often you get to that second phase and if you flip over one wrong card out of the deck, there's like eight obstacles, you get four of them. If you flip over one wrong card, you go, that's it, we've lost. And only if the cards come out in a certain order can you win and once everyone's played it a bit, they'll know exactly what they should be doing on their turn because they know exactly what cards are in the game. And if you haven't fed the biggest cards in the first half, and they may not even have come out because not all the cards are played in the first half. Some of them get stuck in your hand. If they have not been able to be played or you haven't played them, you can't win. <sighs> so it doesn't stand up to repeated play, unfortunately. Uh, it's disappointing, but still, I haven't had any plays yet, so I'm still looking forward to to playing it. Really. I think play it without me, genuinely, because That's it, just I a rule of thumb, though. Sure, yeah, well, generally, yeah, because I I I could pretend, <laughs> I can act, I guess I could do that and make it fun, but I won't have the sense of wonder. And actually, possibly the most thematic thing about it is that it's a great initial experience, but it dies out too quickly much as the individual Mayfly does. From Mayflies to uh, a Reef, or Reef the game, which was the last game we played in Oxford, designed by Emerson Matsuchi, and coming from Next Move Games, Reef is a... It's, it's a, a tile layer game, essentially, where you're taking components of the reef, placing them on a grid, and either building them up into stacks and trying to match the both the pattern on the top of the tiles to the height of the stacks to various scoring cards. Quite a simple game, Ronan. One I know that you have played. You played it at Tabletop Live, I believe. And you weren't best pleased. Do you have anything else to say? I think it's a terrible game, Ronan. (laughs) 
<laughs> Go on, keep going. There was just no thought to anything in it. The, uh, the choices were obvious. So you've got your row of scoring cards. So you either build towards them and or scoring cards come out that are obvious that are going to score you already. So you, you say, okay, well, I'll have those then. It didn't seem to be any choice throughout the whole game. You were kind of led by the nose by what was available and what what you were building towards or had already got. So it, it just it was just humdrum, boring and monotonous. It seemed quite clear to me that Emerson Matsuchi has got access to some sort of necromantic arts or dark <laughs> arts and some kind of of brain control. Because how this is number 621 in board game rankings, and never mind the nonsense of the century games, which don't even bother. I don't want to no, hear your defence no, no, of them. No, 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 don't you start. Don't, don't want to hear your defence of them. I will go over there and slap you upside your head. They are rubbish. They are not. They are, they are better not. than Reef. <laughs> they are better than Reef. <laughs> which is too tactical, ugly, and dull. There you go. I don't understand. What it, I, I can't see it. I don't know why these are popular. It, it Fidget spinners. Just rubbish. Waste of time. Just sit there, doink, doink, pull a card, doink, doink. Oh, I scored some points. So did you. Someone won. <laughs> Waste of time. <laughs> I think we can move on. Good. I'm going to tell you a story. Go on, tell me a story, Roddy. Uh, it's going to be linked to a game eventually, but as you know, but this is for our listener, listener, for for the Christmas present for no, yes, for my my teenage girls, they got a Harry Potter weekend. Now we've been to Harry Potter World in Watford, where it's got all the studio sets and you have a real experience, and it's really really good. Sean, I think you'll find it's in Leaveston, not Watford, but yeah. Yeah, near enough. How far away is Leaveston from Watford? A couple of miles. But it's still not How many Watford. signs from, from the motorways point you to Leaveston? Still in Leaveston. Right. In Watford. I was thinking more you comment on the experience of going to Harry Potter World. But it know, is whatever. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The, you got Thanks. all the movie sets. Uh, you even get you get to go on like the night bus. You go out to Privet Drive. I, it's, it is definitely worth doing go just going into the hall the grand hall of hogwarts is is quite the experience and you even get a little flagon of butterbeer at the end and was there anything else you want to tell me about hertfordshire geography or can i move on from that as well no only that you're wrong but go on okay good thanks okay so we've done that so we want to do something different so we uh we went on a walk around london where there were movie sets from Harry Potter and other movies and then we went for a meal in the booking office at st pancras hotel which is like the spectacular one by king's cross st pancras people might know the building and then we went down to a harry potter hotel uh, down in victoria where you go in and you go behind a secret wall and walk downstairs and it's all as if it was in hogwarts and you go into your own room and there's double poster beds and there's all sort of little nice touches and lions around the place and we watched a load of harry potter movies and ate some bad food uh and the next day we went to the incredible prince charles cinema in leicester square which does like all the Lord of the Rings extended editions marathons or all the Harry Potter films in a row marathons and it does sing-along things and this wasn't a Harry Potter thing we did a sing-along Greatest Showman <laughs> this is the greatest show yeah no, no, no. that was really good as well and then we did a Harry Potter escape room which was really really good that was in East London down near Whitechapel and uh, uh, very fantastic anyway what I'm getting to is while we were in the hotel room so I'm just showing off that we had a really lovely hotel uh, Harry Potter weekend while we were in the hotel we played Codenames Harry Potter I got there in the end well done 
Thanks. It's like code names, but it's Harry Potter, Sean. I can't really like anything, and I'm, I'm even talking like there's there's Marvel, or even if they had a DC version of code names, I couldn't think of anything more dull. To be honest, yeah, I just don't. I personally don't see how code names would be interesting enough to have it dedicated to that one topic. But you, you tell me how you found it. It's based on code names, Jewel rather than code names itself. Right. So it's co-op. Yeah. And you're trying to get the same card, some of the same cards, some different cards as each other. You give each other clues in teams. You're trying to avoid the Death Eaters in this one, the thematic touch. And also it's words on one side and it's pictures on the other side. So you can play words or pictures or mix them up. It says mix them up for the full game. I agree with you with Marvel because Spider-Man is very hard to link to anything other than Spider-Man. But with Harry Potter, there's enough words in there that can be linked in other ways. Right. That I think it worked. I think it held up. Okay. But if you're... It's a funny thing, right? The the girls, obviously being younger, while we've both read Harry Potter books and watched the films, you know, no more than... Well, I guess the original ones we've seen quite a lot because they're always on, aren't they? But like the, the seventh and eighth film and the sixth film, I've probably seen it twice or something like that. They have literally watched them dozens of times. And Harry Potter is a much more important cultural thing to them than it is to us, despite the fact that we like it. And that became apparent in the course of playing the game. Right. <laughs> that some of the things they linked were like, oh, yeah, of course, because they wrote a letter to his cousin. And that would have come through via Alberforce. And Alberforce would have been sitting there in the third chair, not the fourth chair. And you're like, look at each other. No. It's because they're both blue. It's <laughs> two different levels of Harry Potter getting played here. And it was most apparent in the pictures, because a lot of the pictures are stills from the films. And like we would see fire, so we'd link it somehow. And they'd be like, yeah, but that's the fire Bellatrix Lestrange lit when she was burning the burrows. It's like the famous Bellatrix Lestrange scene. And you're like, no, I didn't. I didn't remember that. So the words worked well because they were less specific. The pictures are really specific to Harry Potter, and I think those are for real Harry Potter fans. But I don't agree that it would be as specific as a Marvel or a DC one because you know cauldron and potion. You can link them in other things, other ways. I'm not being very imaginative there. There are other words in there, but we had loads of fun in that particular setting, and we played it four times in a row, and we were laughing and and with the movies on and that, and it was just a really lovely weekend, and it's kind of the perfect game for that setting. There you go. So you you've got your money's worth out of it, and yeah, I agree. I think I probably would enjoy it in that setting myself, but yeah, I'm just skeptical in general. Of uh, of those licensed code names ones, but yeah, maybe we'll play it. Maybe I'll try and convert you. Have you, have you played code names duel? Duet, isn't it? Mm, I'll have to look behind me to find out. I guess it must be duet. It's not a duel, is it? So have you played it? Have I played code names duet? I have not played code names duet. I own it. I have not played it yet. Fabulous two player game. Yeah, I really want to play. I really keep meaning. Fabulous! I love it. I think it's really, really good. Turn it into a full co-op. Really yeah, makes I it think kind I'm of a special fire experience. Into, so I keep all my games that I'm going to play in the near future in in the in the kitchen in our bookshelf in the kitchen diner area. So I might chuck it on there. Slap it in there. Right. Slap it in there. Right. Slap, Slap it in there, lad. Now, great. Codename's Harry Potter. If you know anything about Harry Potter, give it a go because it's based on a fantastic system. There you go. This next two games are based on me being incredibly wrong. So, first okay. up, 
Um, <laughs> we covered this in our Essen preview with Dan Hughes, I believe. It was on my top 10 list, uh, most excited about Essen. And it's Ceylon, designed by Chris and Suzanne Zinsley, and coming from Ludanova. Now, I know you have previously talked with Puria, who also bought it at Essen, and he was kind of in two minds. He wasn't sure that it was going to be a, a sticker for him. But, uh, yeah, I had high hopes, Ronan. I, I did, I have to admit, I had high hopes. It's based on the the tea industry in Ceylon or Sri Lanka and you are you you're basically harvesting tea to fulfill contracts and the clever mechanism or the mechanism it's kind of built on is that when you play a card a card has two sides to it and there's two actions so you take one action and everybody else can take the second action that mechanism in itself Ronan it is a clever mechanism, but I like that type of mechanism in games. But however, in this game, there is so few options that some of the options just ran out for people. So you'd, you'd just run out and you wouldn't want to do that option anymore, and nobody would want to do that option anymore. So you'd have these cards where one of them would be just null and void. One half would be null and void to not only everyone else, but to you yourself. So it made the the options very simple and the choice is very simple and the rewards that you get just too random so the contracts would come out if you'd happen to have the the right cubes so there'd be different teas for each level so you'd have a white tea for like a you'd have to build up a level if that makes any sense you'd you'd literally have tiles that stack and a certain tea would be built on on that level and then next level down another type of tea would be built and then obviously so you'd have to go on to higher planes and lower planes to get the different types of tea to fulfill the contracts if you just happen to have the right contract come up and you have the tea for it then happy days, you'll be able to fulfill it. Also, the contracts form part of a set collection. So you're fulfilling to different companies. So if you if you have like company one, two, three, and five, then obviously you're after four. Four might not come out. Four might come out. Someone else might grab it. You never know. It's completely random when they come out and how they come out. So lastly, Ronan, the area control it just became too easy because you can only hold so much tea. So you're obviously building up your own plantations and you're trying, you're harvesting from your own plantations, but you can also harvest from other people's plantations and you can grab stuff, but they obviously get the reward of getting stuff from, from those plantations as well. But you can only hold a certain amount of tea. So it became very easy towards the end saying, well, that person definitely doesn't want another two, the black tea cubes, so I might as well use their one and just annoy them. It's, it's, it didn't make any sense. It just it just fell flat. A really clever premise, a beautiful looking game, and it just fell flat because it just didn't feel tested, Ronan. I know that we all have confirmation bias. <laughs> I know you said it was going to be rubbish, and so did Dan, and I'm wrong. That's why I said that this is my wrong section. Okay. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you probably ask P Dog now if he's given it another go, I think he'd probably be of the same opinion. I can't see him finding too much to 
to explore in this game either. I'll say so. he probably hasn't played it again, which probably says enough in itself. That would be my guess. But he does play yeah, a lot of yeah, games. Probably. We can, we can yeah. check with him. He's coming on in a while, so not this episode, but we'll, maybe we'll ask him. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Okay, so that, that was Ceylon. Did you say it looks pretty? Yes, I think it's a beautiful looking game. Do you know what also looks pretty? Well, it looks pretty, pretty right. You, obviously. <laughs> obviously. And sentient. <laughs> okay. From Renegade and J. Alex Cavern, in which you've got five dice and you roll them at the beginning of a round. It's three rounds in the game. And on your turn, unless you wipe the cards available, there's four available, you're going to place agent's assistance out above a card to take it from a tableau and add it to your own tableau and that card has got a way it scores points and a way it's going to adjust the dice either side of it putting them up or down one number or not adjusting them and the way the card scores will be dependent upon what the scores are of the dice that it is between so it might want them both to be even or both to be odd or one to be more than the other or want you to have high ones or low ones or a five or two fives or whatever it might be and by putting down these cards you're programming your dice and twisting them up and down and you've got assistance which you can either add to your agents for taking a card not that your bid to take the card is to take the card at the time. We'll talk about what it's for in a second. Or you can use assistance to block what the cards do to the dice, right? And at the end of the round, once you've everyone's placed their four, you go through and you say, have I fulfilled this scoring on my left card? Yes, I get that number of points. And the next one, yes. This one, no. And this one, yes. And you score a certain number of points. And you do it again, you do it again. And then there's some end game scoring. And the end game scoring is there are five different types of cards when the cards are laid out in the middle of the table, they go between these multipliers, they're called. For each multiplier at the end of a round, you're going to check who's got the most agents and assistants adjacent to it. And you take the multiplier, and all the multipliers you collect during the course of the game will multiply with the number of types of ghost cards, the 12 cards you've collected. So there might be industrial cards. I might have three of those. I might have collected three industrial multipliers. I will score nine points extra for those cards at the end of the game. So there's a little bit of sort of area controlish thing going on when you're bidding and taking cards. So that's what it's all about. And it sounded interesting to me. Uh, it looked pretty. And it came from Renegade when they were bringing out good game after good game. So I was like, oh, okay. And it, even now, it's £49 on Amazon for Ooh. a 45-minute card, little card and dice game. Wow. Not little. Beautiful looking. See, that's that's where they. Yeah, okay, it might it might be beautiful, but for a card game, man, like that's where the the whole industry is just going loopy for me. I, I'm I'm being priced out of things. We were talking about. I've I've really not bought much at all recently because I'm just being priced out of things. If a card game is fifty pounds on Amazon, which is one of the cheaper places to buy, well, let me throw in an unpaid for plug here. If anything I say sounds interesting, currently in the UK, Meeple Corner, I've got it for £22.50. Wow. <laughs> Thank okay. you, board game prices. But that £49 is much more indicative of the price it's been until very yeah, recently. Yeah. yeah? yeah I can, I've seen its price start to drop recently because I think it's become clear that people can't shift it at that price. That's my, you know, I, I think. Yeah. I got it for Christmas from, from my in-laws. And... The first time I went to play it, I rolled it out with three other gamers. Four-player game. It was awful. (laughs) Genuinely awful. It was pure chaos. Right. Uh, Did you ever play Five Tribes? Uh, Yes. yes, Did you ever play it with lots of players? Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you ever remember that soul-deadening feeling of sitting there while the other three players take their turn because you can't even look at the board because you don't know what's going to be it's there. It's going to be completely different by yeah. the time it comes around to you. And yeah, <laughs> I also remember if you had the the weaker player on your right, you tended to rub the yeah. game. I mean, I, it's not got the weaker player problem because it's so chaotic and yeah. But with four players, no, 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 no. And the, the multipliers are then almost pointless because there's only going to be a certain number headed out, uh, 15 over the course of the game. And with four of you, you're going to get three or four, right? Probably. So they're worth a handful of points. It's, and you you can't choose a card according to the multiplier because you're then unlikely to be able to score that card because it's very specific how they score. And you have to plan like a, a, the, what you're doing on your tableau. So four player honestly genuinely I was going to get rid of it without another play yes go on then because I thought I was going to talk about it here I thought I'd be fair even though we don't do full reviews of these games and you know these are all first impressions played it a couple of times whatever although all of these games I've played a few times so far all of them in fact apart from Villainous we haven't got to Villainous yet we'll get there um, <laughs> I played it two player with Ellie I said come on Ellie let's see what it's like two player Better. Yeah, I saw your I saw your tweet the other yeah, day. Yeah, we had a random it, yeah. renegade two player game by mistake. Two player game night by mistake. Better. But zero sum. So then when you're bidding for the cards and you're putting your agents and assistants down, any ties are broken in turn order. Yeah, I hate that. So you could just you know, you can just match the other person. Yeah. Knowing yeah. that, well, I'll get them on turn order and it could be but it was way better. And, and much more control. And yeah. so it, if you don't take a card, you wipe the cards. And the choosing when to wipe the cards actually meant something. Right, gotcha. Yeah, so, but not perfect. So I'd have to play it three player to give it a full sort of, does it work? Is three player the happy medium? I'm just not sure I'm interested enough to do it. I can, I can see that going in your little trade shelf in your living room. <laughs> it's on the trade shelf. Do you oh, know the on one there. thing oh, I need okay. to do is. Uh, Ellie's with her mum for the next few days. I know I do. I see it before aircon anyway. I need to ask her: Is it worth me keeping this? Because she loved the picture of it. Uh, yeah. She loved the aesthetics. She loved the fact that the dice are, are, are nice, and and I think she enjoyed the game. But whether she enjoyed it enough for me for us to, to keep for us to play together. Yeah. Okay. That's the only reason I'd keep it is if she's really taken to it. I know she enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that we played it together, obviously, because it was the two of us spending time. But not enough to keep it. A four player was awful. So if you've ever played sentient four player, I'm really sorry. Sure, <laughs> okay. Sean, we're back. We are back, and it may come as quite a surprise to other people, but uh, we've had a little bit of a gap. Yeah, that was ten seconds to you. Was three days to us. <laughs> The mysteries of podcasting. It's all good, though. It's all fine. It's We're going to finish fine. this off yeah, in yeah. style. We, we knew exactly where we finished and we know exactly where to pick up. So, <laughs> yeah. I put an asterisk on my notes to show me where we had finished and then I realised it, it was one of many asterisks. What do you call many asterisks? Asterisk. Uh, a colony of ghouls. That is the worst. That is the worst. Worst joke. You're going to have to get a fix on that joke, mate. <laughs> Or our vital statistics are going to drop horribly. <laughs> I could literally be here all day. All right, I couldn't. I could do like three more. <laughs> so anyway, anything exciting happened in the last three days, Sean? Anything you want to fill us in on? Not me. You're the one that's been playing games. How dare you? 
break off a game a gaming <laughs> podcast to actually play some games. I hold on, you broke off the podcast. <laughs> that would come around here. You had you had baby duties to attend to. I did have a games day, yeah. And it was all productive in terms of the podcast because I played two games for my 10 by 10 and I got my first two plays in of two games we're going to review. So four games, Friday night, a bit of a sausage hive or a butter bean stew and a very pleasant time was had by all. Very good, very good. I was very jealous. I have played yeah. nothing in the last uh, five, six days. Not a thing. You've been busy daddying. I have been busy daddying. How, how dare Natalie leave the house and leave <laughs> Leave, leave me, leave me to my own devices. <laughs> almost like you're a parent. Almost like, I, almost like. I really don't feel like commenting after that. <laughs> she, she wasn't really impressed when I was like when I presented them alive and went ta da. <laughs> I did it. I did it. They're not dead. Wow, you are the very best. I am. Do you want to start talking about games? Because clearly, parenting, you're not going to be doing any podcasts about that anytime soon. <laughs> So, okay, so my next one, I talked about Salon uh, three days ago, but a few minutes ago, and that was one of the Essen games that I'd sort of previewed and looked at ahead of time. But every Essen, I tend to just walk the halls as as you do, Ronan, and one catches your eyes that you don't really know anything about. You just go and maybe watch part of a demo or somebody talks to you about it or it just catches your eye in the halls. And this was the one for me this year that caught my eyes. Last day, €26. Euros. So really, for, for a big box game, it's Sailblazer. I should tell people what it is. It's Sailblazer from Korea Board Games Company and designed by Bongwan Yu. It is... All about sailing around the seas, discovering islands, trading, uh, fighting off pirates, improving your ship. And is it about blazing as well? It's not not too much blazing. I'm a little bit upset. I, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose the, cannon, the cannons blaze as they fire. At them. Yes! Yes, brother. My cannon squad are blazing. <laughs> and I didn't really have that much like not not faith faith is the wrong word but hope for it because i knew nothing about it i, I had nothing uh, good or bad thoughts about it, it other than it looked really really nice so i picked it up and it's not great Ron. i'd never even uh, this was a mystery to me <laughs> even now four months after essen so it didn't get any buzz going in it didn't get any buzz coming out and you picked it up because it was pretty i'm shocked it's no good it wasn't even really being pushed that hard by uh, korea board games company because they, <laughs> they had quite a big area i think it was off in one of the smaller halls maybe four or five or something and they had quite a big carpeted area with lots of game playing tables and i think it was only on about one or two of the tables and even to go and buy it, there's like a tiny little poster and a stack of them off to the right of the of the, of the stair. So yeah, I, I suppose alarm bells should have been ringing there. But can I can I have a copy of Cellblazer, mate? Oh, we've got these other games. Oh, I'd, I'd really like Cellblazer. Mm, can I talk you into a different purchase, sir? <laughs> Something like that. Funny, funny look as you would actually go and get it yourself. Uh... <laughs> right, look, I, I really want Cellblazer. Not sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a funny old one, man. It is it like a game? It's, it it felt really, really like really thrown together. There was weird mechanisms 
that were just in it. Like you would get to an island and it would have a certain symbol that you could just pick up a card and get a reward. That was it. That was your action. Like you would choose to do that action to get a reward. And they were all positive things. So, okay, well, yeah, I'll do that then. And it, was, it just didn't even feel like an action. There was also a really random tile draw. And that you, you pretty much need to find pirates to fight them to get, to get your XP up, which is how you upgrade your ship and you start to earn points. Again, completely random tile draw. If one person got, say, each, each round, five pirates to the other person's one or two, that person is just shooting ahead. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't sort of go after them and fight the pirates yourselves because it's a one-off thing. That you pick up the card, if they win or lose, that pirate is gone. So that was really odd. Into the mist, Sean. Into the mist. The people of mystery. <laughs> they live a different life to us. Trading, the mechanism was actually quite clever. So you would find an island and you would... You'd buy their goods off them for one coin. And each each good had a ceiling level, so you couldn't go past that ceiling level. But it would all depend on how far away the next one of that symbol was so when you were trying to sell it. So if you want, you would basically sell as far away as you can from that symbol, and that's how much you would sell the good for. And, and which I thought made a lot of thematic sense because there is obviously the furthest point. It's harder to get that good. I thought that was really cool. And that goods trading seemed to be like the heart of the game because so, you're, you're trying to build up your your money and you're, you're making sure you don't explore too many tiles because you might bring up another one of those symbols and it would reduce the money and you'd have to sail off again and waste time sailing. So really cool. Yeah, brilliant. In a game of, I'd say, 30 to 40 points, Ronan, Mm-hmm. The person, <laughs> this is, look, it's a major factor of the game. You've got like eight different goods and of different values. The person who has earned the most money trading gets to roll a die and can get one to three points. Great. Thanks a lot, Cosmic. Yeah. So <laughs> after all that, it's like you might get one point. But the money you're making is valuable during the game. Surely trading yeah, you, is but money you're making you can you can upgrade your ship a little bit, but there's a there's not that much upgrading to do. There's like two or three cannon ports. There's five For your blazing squad. Blazing squad. There's uh, five crew members that you can place in, but you can place some of those for free once you get to a certain XP on each level. There there is something, it's not that useful, Ronan. On top of that and it actually says it in the rules, Ronan. Uh, here's a storyline. So you pick up a prologue card and you you go through this story and it's worth nothing at all. And they just said, we just threw that in. You can use it or you can't. So you don't get VP or money or nope. anything for it? No. Nope. You get a title like Siren of the Sea or something like that. If you take that title from me, <laughs> I earn that. Yeah, you did earn that. There was a lot of hanging around on rocks offshore in a bikini for me to get that finally. It is a very, very weird game in a really, really beautiful package. So there's one video on Sailblazer on BGG. Have you watched it? I haven't, no. Okay, so I say it as a content creator, and we all know that when you create content, someone somewhere, and in fact a percentage of anyone who sees your stuff is going to hate you. And just find you incredibly annoying. And apparently me more than you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'll take that. I'll roll with that. 
I have to say, the, the geezer is the designer and he's explaining it. He's incredibly annoying on the only video available. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's not going to help you sell. Have a look at that video and see if you find him as annoying as I did. Anyway, the other thing is, he says that he's tried to design it as an intro game. The next thing he goes on to say is, your first game will be two hours and your second game will be 90 minutes. And then for the third game onwards, it should be nearer an hour because there's loads of weird fiddly rules that you've got to get your head around. Yeah. So he's saying he's he literally I designed an intro game to play with my family and my friends who don't game that much, but the game is full of incredibly fiddly rules. It will take you two hours, and they don't really make that much sense. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, I wonder if he ever stopped and had a little <laughs> listen to himself and went like, "Oh yeah, those two things do not make any sense." You wonder if career board games just actually thought, you know what, we've we've put money into producing this, but we don't want it to be associated with us. So that's why they shoved it to one side in essence. Oh, that's wild speculation. <laughs> Maybe he's like one of those F1 drivers that's got to like bring ten million pounds worth of sponsorship with him before you. Like, all right, I'll basically pay for production of my own game. All right, we'll we'll put it under our label then. All right, but tuck it to one side, sure, whatever, whatever. Uh, but but here is a piece of advice to anyone who should ever cross paths with you. Uh, if you're ever short of money or short a young child, just just offer Sean some way to have a customizable sailboat. And he'll just money, child, car, wife, they'll all be handed over. Oi, as long as you can have a little board that looks like a sailboat that you can add cannons to. Oi, I resemble that remark. <laughs> Every game in existence that you can add to your sails, you've bought it. I do I do like a bit of customization. I, I Specifically like sailboat though. That that's what the real that's sweet the one, spot yeah, is. but that's the one that tends to be the most sort of prominent. I they like Wasteland Express and all the stuff like that. Anything you can customize stuff. I love it. Yeah. You're a special little creature. I am a special creature. God bless. I can't say as you've taught me into try and sailblazer. Oh, that'll be gone soon. <laughs> <laughs> this is going out after aircon, so someone might. Yeah, they got yeah, yeah. It. Listen, don't don't you dare put it out before I put it in that bring and buy. <laughs> <laughs> For a mere seventy pounds, a rare Korean game. <laughs> Right, let's move uh, on, Ryden. All right, Snake Oil. Okay, we are going to move on to Blood Off an Englishman. It's a two-player Renegade Games game in which there's columns of cards laid out, and they're numbered one to nine, and there's four different treasures. There's two of each. And you're going to have a jack player, and you're going to have a giant player. Jack is attempting to make three beanstalks, which have to have ascending cards in number, uh, six of them, and then be topped up by a treasure. And the giant is gonna attempting to stop Jack doing that, but they're also trying to get this fee fi fo and fum cards. There's two of each, and they're trying to get all of them together in any order in a column vertically, so they're just four cards at each other, or the front of four different columns having a fee, a fight, a foe, or a fum, and that's how they'll win. So obviously the game is all about manipulating the cards within those columns. Jack gets three actions. Uh, Jack can move cards from the back of a column to the front or take them from the front or take them from the back or swap fronts around. And then the giant gets one action, which is generally more powerful, but only one of them. They can move four cards from the front of a column to another or they can just chuck any card out of the game or they can move two front cards around. So Jack goes, tries to build his beanstalks. The giant goes, tries to rearrange the cards that are left on the table to slow Jack down and also to try and get his FIFA phone farms closely together it's a very quick game sean from that rules explanation i just told you hopefully you'll be able to just start playing obviously someone could just help you along a little bit but it's 
one of those games in which I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the other person's supposed to do. And I'm still shocked all the time whenever there's a victory. And someone's like, yeah, look, I'll just do that. And I've won. Huh? How'd that happen? I remember having a look at this one and then being kind of almost put off by the by the fact that he's going to play out so quickly. I wanted something a bit meatier, but uh, from what you've described, Ron, it does sound like it's, it's quite a lot of fun. That's... That's your expectation is not the game's fault. It is. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to judge you there. It is fun. It is fun. I've played it six times. And now to play it, it feels like quite a lot of who's going to win is dependent on the card draw. As in, if the 3-5-4-5 cards come out together or near the front, it can be quite hard then for the Jack character to recover from that. Or if they're spread out a bit, the Jack character's definitely got an advantage. And when you start playing with two players who have played it a bit and, and are equally skilled, if you like, card draw becomes more important. But then it only takes 10 minutes to play. So it, I'd recommend it. I'd recommend if you're going to be playing, you know, you, you play 20-minute two-player games a lot, just throw it down, smash them around a little bit, have a chat while you're playing. For in-depth and strategy, you have to be aware that the card draw will affect the winner more often than not. Is it a keeper then, Roden, for you? I'm teetering. Oh. I'm not quite sure. And only because I've got so many two-player games. Uh, like, we took games out yesterday. We were around about doing things. And we took Raptor and Patchwork and Keyforge. And I can't see that the Blood of Lynchman is going to get into that top echelon. Even the fact that you're... Because you're being quite brutal at the moment with your games collection. Even the fact that you're sort of even thinking about keeping it is, is quite a good sign at the moment. Well, yeah, no, it is a good sign because it's really clear. It's really easy to teach. It's small. It's in a really small box. It's nice components. It's enjoyable. You know, I've played it six times. I don't think there's enough there for 20 plays. So if, I'm, if I kept it, it would be a case of I'm chucking it to the back of the game shelf and in two or three years' time, it would make its way forward again. And I'll go, oh, we haven't played this in a while. And I'd throw it down, we'd play it three or four times and it goes back to the back of the game shelf again. And because it's small, it could kind of get away with it like that. So it's, Which means, the fact that I would play it again, it means it is a very good game. It's just not upper echelon for me. Okay, fair enough. Speaking of upper echelon... Well, this one, I knew I was on very, very solid ground bringing, bringing this one to the fold. We did review it a long time ago, Ronan, back in the early days of The Pit. And it's Luna from Steffenfeld, whole slew of companies, Hall Games, Z-Man, Pegasus Spiel, and most recently, Tasty Minstrel Games, who have deluxified it. And I am part of that Kickstarter. You'll be shocked to hear, Ronan. And... Yeah, it's all about trying to impress the, the moon goddess or the moon priestess. You have a, it's a worker placement game, but you've got a, a an island, islands all surrounding a sort of central board and you're hopping around the islands trying to avoid the reaper dude, trying to build your castles and trying to really influence that central board and get yourself onto there. And Ronan always held it. As I don't know, I think it, it's one of your favourite felt games, if not your favourite felt game, Ronan, is it? Oh, 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 well, well, here we go. Here's a problem. Here's an issue that you've that you've raised. It's ugly head. It's almost five years since I played it. Apparently, I think yeah. I probably played it that five years with you because it was a long, long, long time between yes. plays of this. 
I know I've had it out since then, but it's never quite made it to the table. So this is one I do need to focus on getting played. Is it my favorite field? I think so. I think it was the top one in my top 50. Obviously, when it gets to like five years ago since your plays, you feel like you need to play it again with what you now know about gaming to see if it stood up to time. It's, it's like a book you read, you know. You can read it, and then in 10 years' time, you read it again, and you go, oh, maybe maybe my taste has changed a little bit. So I need to play Luna again, but currently on Remembering of Plays, and I did play it quite a bit when it first came out, yeah, I'm, I'm, it is my favourite uh, Feld, I think. So, yeah, for me, I while I liked it when we first played, it, I found it quite difficult, quite confusing uh, to wrap my head around it because there is there's a lot of moving parts to this game. You are sort of planning two, three rounds ahead. You're you are having not just to place your workers, but the workers are on the board already, and you're having to move them around. You're having to avoid things and yeah, get them in position. So really quite confusing, and I don't think I grasped it as well as I could have done the first time and the first few times round. But yeah, Matthew brought it round. He he was really keen to play it, and he he retaught me the game, and I absolutely adored it. And I, I even got a pass from Natalie for wasting money on a Kickstarter. She was like. Yeah, I'll allow that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't wasted money then. Yeah, the, the, how you move people around the islands is is kind of tricky to get your head around. So I hope he gave you a good thematic thing where they either swim or they jump in a boat or the tide washes them. Because that's how I remember teaching it to people, and I think it kind of it kind of made sense. It's because you're not completely in control for how you place your workers, right? You have that's to move right. them somehow. With yeah. I, I love that sort of tidal feel. Yeah. To but it. the way the way the way we kind of thought of it was if they're swimming, they arrive knackered, so they arrive lying down, and you can't use them. Uh, if they uh, if the tidal wave takes them, you can move everyone because it's obviously a tidal wave. It's just taking everything. Thing and you can move them around but again they're arriving knackered but a boat they're going to arrive ready to work because i've had a rest on the boat exactly sounds like you stole from my school of teaching <laughs> i'm going to claim that spread around the world and everyone now teaches it my way <laughs> yeah fantastic game we need to i need to swim again in the awesome of luna sean you're welcome to bring that along next weekend i don't own it yet it's oh. uh, it's uh on a boat somewhere coming from china i believe it's about eight inches from me it's part of my pillow fort while we're recording so maybe i'll bring it along you bring it you bring it along i'm sure we'll have some some fun games of it sweet let's do that okay sean a game i'm sure that you've heard lots about but i'm pretty sure you haven't played yet that's made a huge splash has been winning prizes already has apparently sold a quarter of a million units in just a few months which is a big hit in the board game world it's villainous and you used your daughter's birthday to to buy yourself a game i i spawned it i raised it <laughs> i'll use it however i want thank you very much yeah this is caitlin's 13th birthday as we said last time not that into games but that doesn't mean i can't buy a villainous as a sort of a birthday i bought her actual birthday presents no, <laughs> she got this as an no, add-on here you go <laughs> i don't want that i don't care Caitlin, I bought Back you the work. latest Terraforming Mars expansion. <laughs> You're mean. I bought her some wicked shoes that she's very excited about. They look like 1930s shoes to me. Smart brown leather things, but she's she's over the moon. She's going down okay. the pits again. <laughs> I think she's going to go do some Lindy Hop or something. I don't know what she <laughs> wants us to do anyway. Is that 30s? Maybe that's 40s. I don't know, Sean. Am I rambling? Villainous. So, the way I came at Villainous is... Imagine that 
you're around someone's house or friends of yours or whatever, or maybe somebody like that one, they go, oh, you're into board games. I'm really into board games. Oh, great. Okay, good. Yeah, lovely. I've got I've got a new game you play with me. Yeah, sure. What is it? Oh, it's based around the Disney villains and you play cards in each other. It's really fun. You've got to try and win. What would your initial reaction be? You would be slightly sceptical that it was one of a, a, a Tesco stroke Walmart straight to very light, not really in our wheelhouse, wouldn't you? So I certainly would. Coming from that perspective of what this is, a mass market Disney game, it's amazing. As a hobby game, it's good. As a game for the mass market, amazing. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. So, I, I've written down here, this is not the sort of game to be judged against Root. It's the sort of game to be judged against frustration or sorry or whatever so you take on the role of a disney villain i'm sure lots of people know this and there's six of them in the base game and they come with their own two decks of cards and four spaces in which you choose your actions and you have to move your dobber around side style you have to go to a different one on your turn and that will give you a list of things you can do it, uh, you draw cards it'll let you play your cards and your cards are gonna well it depends on who you are right so like King John can put out wanted posters and stuff and can put out guards and is always trying to gather lots of power and King John will win by having 20 power at the start of their turn and power is the currency in the game which you're going to spend to play cards as well however and I'm trying to think uh, Jafar has to try and get the lamp out of a locked space on his board. So he's only got three spaces he can go to start with. His fourth one unlocks via mechanisms in the game. Uh, it's the Cave of Wonders, and then the lamp's got to come out with a genie, and then he's got to move them to the palace. And if he gets them both to the palace before anyone else wins, he wins. And each of them have got their own way. I won't go through all of them. And in the actions, you're going to play cards to try and get to whatever your end goal is. And you've got everyone's got an individual set, but also you've got the second deck of cards called Fate Cards. And you can activate an action which tells you you're going to play Fate Cards on someone else around the table. And you choose another villain and you draw two of their Fate Cards and you choose one to play. And it could be heroes. And when heroes come in, they block half the actions in a space on the board, usually half the actions in a space on the board. Or they drive away things. So, so Maleficent, for example, has to get curses out onto lands. And when they've got four curses at the beginning of their turn, they'll win. But you can play Fate Cards that will drive curses away. So you you're always from her day you're always able to stimmy each other and there's interaction as you go around the place and every villain plays differently and it's got so many good things going for it it's really nice production it all makes sense one simple currency deck of cards i was actually surprised how gamely it was to be honest uh, if it is quite gamey yeah. what's what would you say is the age limit that you would span it across i'd say 12 if they didn't know many games, maybe 10 if they're more of a, a gamer kid. Right, okay. Yeah, there's, there's there's lots of cards to read. The interactions between them are simple, but you'd want to have an idea of where you're going. And most importantly, you really need to have an idea where the other villains are going because it's a race. And if there was per one person who was left alone more than the others, they are more likely to win the race. So you need to be able to kind of judge somehow what, how things are going on. So like, from Lifsent, it's easy. You need four curses out. You've got three. Right, you're close to winning. For Jafar, it can be a little bit trickier because he can whiz things around a bit more quickly. So you can be like, um, yeah, you've got the genie lamp, but they're quite far away from the palace. And with one card play, you can whiz them along. Mm. Yeah, So and uh, they're, they're different in, in how they roll. So actually, I, I think it's going to reward multiple plays. I mean, it sold so many units. That's such a big reaction. It's almost surprising to me because... 
it's not a game that's instantly familiar. You know, you, you play, and even after first play, you're like, right, how exactly did you, would you win? How exactly would you win? Right, I feel like it would be better if we played these villains again, even if we mixed them around, so we all know what each other's trying to do. Which is great as a game, but like I say, a little bit surprising. But I know the other thing to me with that is though that it plays up to six. There are six villains in there, and I think higher play counts is a bit crazy because you're going to have downtime. You're not really going to be able to follow what five or four or five other people are doing around the board. So I would limit it down to four maximum. Maybe three's a better spot for it. Yeah, there is this a little bit of crossover now. We talked in the past that like Tesco's over here in the UK have started to stock or are stocking sort of fairly mainstream games, uh, sort of gamer games. And I know in in America, Walmart uh, got the license for a Red Raven game, uh, Megaland. I've had, mate, they've had 50 licenses. Yeah. There's loads of Walmart exclusives now, yeah. But that, that kind of made me sort of sit up and take notice because obviously Red Raven tend to make for the, the gaming market. And, yeah, so I think it, I think it games are becoming more mainstream and the the vice versa is is the same is that the mainstream games are becoming more gamery so i think there's definitely a little bit of crossover there for sure for sure i just thought this was a step further than i've seen before it was a bit depressing there's a huge waterstones in westfield near me that's just opened and they had a gaming section i went in there yesterday and there was maybe five or six games that you played. it was like escape from cold it's and there was a couple of Forbidden Island and stuff, but there's a lot. Of... So hit and miss. Like, yeah. you go to Waterstones in some places, and it's not like the places you expect. Like, it's not like I went to the one in Oxford, University Town, games cafes around the place, quite a couple of game shops. And you'd think, yeah, that'd be one where Waterstones would have a load of games. It didn't. But you go to a, like a random one like Peterborough, and they'll have like a massive games collection. It's really odd. I'm not sure what their model is. In terms no, clearly it must be left to individual stores to yeah. what games they want to order in. And if they have someone who's into games amongst their staff, like there's one in Basildon, might be Basildon, might not be, one in Essex Downs out here where Rachel's family's from. And they, I mean, they have got three big areas of games they'll have x-wing stuff in there they've got zombicide stuff in there that is like a mini game shop clearly someone on their staff is really into games and in fact it is as good as having a game shop in your shopping mall so waterstones by the way is like barnes and noble if you're from over the pond it's yeah it is hit and miss you're right it would be nice to feel that someone maybe somewhere in waterstones looked at the market realized it was growing and went right should we have some sort of a decent approach to this because it would provide support as well to certain games if they were to get into a waterstones to be a waterstones title you know in in quote marks that's a that's a big order all at once and it'd be nice for them to be able to do that definitely definitely so for what it is villainous is a revelation mate and a a good game for for gamers i would say within itself and the expansion's just coming out sean and you know one of my favorite villains is in that expansion Go on, I don't know, but go on. Who's your favourite? The Shadow Man from Princess and the Frog, Dr. Facilier. See, I, I, I didn't like that film. It's one of the few Disney that, films I don't like. It's like the best Disney film. I just, see, I'm not even a fan of like the original Jungle Book. I don't like it. <laughs> How is that a second turn to Princess and the Frog? Because I'm, I'd, some some Disney films I don't like that other people do okay. like. But Jungle, Jungle Book. Book's not that great a film. It's got some great songs in it. Princess and the Frog is a fantastic film. Yeah, I don't like it. You're a wrong'un. You've got to watch it again. <laughs> and the Shadow Man is a fantastic villain. And oh, I can't wait to play as him. So, Especially in his songs, he goes, the cards, the cards, the cards will tell. And I'm going to be singing it all the time. Okay. 
It's no Lion yeah. King, but we'll see. Oh, come on, mate. I mean, yeah, sort of standards we're holding it to. <laughs> okay, so we're going we're gonna to move on to our Kickstarter section of the show. And, yeah, just to have a look at what's going on. I have been very good, Ronan. I have uh, not backed anything other than the Suburbia Deluxe Edition, which I said last edition, uh, last show I was going to back. Yeah, that's that came through, paid my money for that, and I've been very good, Ronan. I've done what I said I would do, and I've held off, and I've not backed anything further. Well done. I'm very proud of you, Sean. This is real progress. Not that I'm not sniffing around a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> so I have backed something. Uh, we're going to get to it in a second. All right, so, cool. is this the, so you're going to talk about Chocolate Factory. I am going to talk about Chocolate Factory. Is this the game you are most likely to back in the next week? It's, it's something that intrigues me. It's, it's Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert. The both designers that are always interested in their work. Coming from Alley Cat Games, did a Dice Hospital recently. Their production quality is going up and up. So definitely two factors that I'm interested in already. Then I watched a couple of videos. Watched a Rado's video and a couple of others just to see, get the flavour of the game. What is, what's it about? And I really like the conveyor belt uh, mechanic in it, Ronan, is when you, you're sort of turning those cocoa beans into chocolate and then you're turning them into either luxury chocolates or like Twigsies or Kit Kats or whatever they are, very similar to. And yeah, you're fulfilling the orders to certain other uh, companies or shops and it feels like it's going to scratch that economic itch uh, that I, they have and that conveyor belt aspect to it is, is intriguing because you're constantly moving things along and you're improving your conveyor belt there you go customization Ronan and you're you're making it more more sort of effective to what your goals are so definitely something I'm interested in having a look at the physical conveyor belt is the exact sort of novelty or great idea that a kickstarter euro needs to stand out from the crowd because it's something you go oh yeah it's another game it's another game Ooh. Oh, look at that. I can push the cardboard along. And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, genuinely. It's got, oh, yeah. I was looking at it going, that does look fun. And then the fact that you program your own little machines in and they change things, as you were saying. And you feel like, oh, no. And it's called factory. And it, you're making a, and there's a conveyor belt. That's the sort of thing that's going to get you funded on Kickstarter, genuinely. And the fact that it supports the mechanisms, or it feels to within the game, to me, all puts together because... I'll be honest with you. I've been here about Chocolate Factory for six months and the theme held zero interest to me. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't too, too fast. I like a bit of chocolate. No. 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 <laughs> Do you? i tell you what, in, in this athletic frame... <laughs> i tell you what, I, I, do, I do pack a bit of chocolate away. I know it doesn't look like it. Only on cheat decade, though. <laughs> cheat decade? Cheat century, surely. <laughs> You haven't got there yet. <laughs> and I tell you what, the only thing that is stopping me back in this one straight away, Ronan, is that I know there's something coming up that I'm definitely going to have to back. Oh, I thought that was going to be on the next pit pitch. We just say we're both going to back Paladins of the West Kingdom and move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, and in fairness, that what's happened with us, with the, the attempting to limit the amount we spend on games and how many games are coming in and the piles of games everywhere, is that having to make those choices, and actually I'm really enjoying having to make those choices because when the new releases get 
for the UK get announced on a Friday for the following Tuesday. I'm now genuinely excited. And I'm not just throwing money at any old dross. I am waiting and going, oh, there's one I actually really want. That's one of my two purchases this month. Of course, what we've got at the moment, as everyone knows, is the beginning of the year is a bit of a downtime. It kind of gets going to go through till like May, June, until the convention season kicks in again. Around May, probably we'll start getting lots of new titles again. So this is the perfect time to take that punt on Kickstarters and go, save my money. I'm not going to buy that game that I kind of want that's come out now. I'm going to kickstart something that looks more interesting and be patient and get it. So I, I thought you were backing this. So all the time when I was looking at it, I was thinking, I love the, the conveyor belt thing. I love drafting. It appeals to me. This game is appealing to me. The artwork I'm hit and miss on. But I don't need to think about whether I'm going to back it or not because Sean is because that's why he's talking about it. <laughs> Are you saying you're letting me down? I'm letting you down. I think I think I'm letting you down. I haven't, I haven't quite made my mind up. If you were going to back it, would it be Deluxe Edition? Yes. <laughs> why? Why? You, listen, you, you go you go all in or you go home. All right. No, this is what's killed you in the first place. <laughs> that is the wrong thinking. Get the game. Just get the game. You'll be able to no, play it. It won't make I, any difference. I know that there's, there's other people with the same game that looks nicer than mine out there. So what? Oh, I can't know. I care. Here's another thing, though. Do you know what? My second least favourite stretch goal. What is Spot UV? <laughs> it just makes the things a bit more glossy or something. I don't know. Spot UV on the box. So yeah. what? It makes the box glow. What? I think it might it might be that raised. You know, sometimes you you get that raised section of a box, or, or maybe be it's still shi- my beating it's shiny or something. I don't know. Yeah, that is second only behind art book in the worst stretch goals and Kickstarter campaigns. That Spot depends. UV on the box. I don't what? like an art book, but there are people who love the art books. Then make don't make it a stretch goal. Make it an add on. Who likes the art books? <laughs> One in a hundred people. Come on, who would you speak to and go, oh, I'm definitely, yeah, definitely backing that. It's got an art book with it. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, Sean, 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 Sean. It's really annoying. What, are you going to back, back it now? Well, whether I back Chocolate Factory or not depends upon what comes out in the UK in March because one of my two purchases is going to be Paladins of the West Kingdom. There's one going spare. This is currently in first position, but as each week's release come out, I'm going to see what there is. Also, obviously, see what else comes up on Kickstarter. Although, by the time we get to mid-March, if it comes on Kickstarter, that can jump in and be an April purchase, you know, out of my budgeting system. So, it's in it's in the spot now to get backed, but we're going to have to you wait know, and see what else what? comes what I'm looking forward to, Ronan, is that I've obviously taken this stance that when it comes around to my birthday and Christmas, there'll actually be stuff that I really want. <laughs> Like games that I really want. You said that when we were talking about it on the last Pits bit. And then I agree with you that there's going to be games. And do you know the other thing that's making more interesting is the maths trading. That We're always going about how much we enjoy it. But when you hoover up all the games, it's less exciting. And you kind of, for a while there, maybe last year before, I was trawling through going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%, yeah. The last couple I've been like, oh, yeah. And when I look at new releases, I go, no, I'll try and get that in the maths trade. And it makes it more exciting. Yeah, so, for sure. Use, use the trading around you. Share the game. Share the love, people. Okay, should we go on to my Kickstarter tickle? So what so what are the chances of you back in Chocolate Factory? Are you saying you're definitely not, or...? Uh, probably not. No. You could have saved me, man. You could have just... <laughs> okay. 
I'm, I'm, I might. I might. Maybe I'll update next time we pit spit. Okay. My one that I have back though, and this is my second February purchase <laughs> somehow, is Waste Night Second Edition from uh, Marek Middell and Pavel Savic. Uh, it's a two to three hour, one to four player game coming from Galacta. And it's a narrative based game set in a post apocalyptic. Australia that looks like it's been split in half. Obviously, it's the second edition of, of Waste Nights. Waste Nights was the first edition. It's kind of scenario-based uh, in that it can be co-op, it can be competitive, you can join gangs and be working in teams against each other. It all depends upon which scenario you set off with. In general, you're going to be mad maxing it. You're going to be getting a vehicle, you're going to be customising, you're going to be getting some kit, we'll and you'll be going around it. the place. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Theme of the second half. Uh you're going to be bowling around. You're going to be, there's irradiated areas. There's monsters you're going to come across. There's things you're going to try and do. There's certain locations you're going to get, try and get to. And what's really grabbed me is that one of these designers designed the expansion for this war of mine. This is the publisher of this war of mine. We know they did a fantastic job there in terms of the storybook idea and the variable encounters and the actually drawing you into the story amongst a solid set of mechanisms. That story maybe you didn't always want to get drawn into. This story for Waste Nights, I do want to get drawn into. There's something like 850 entries already from the stretch goals here in that uh, law book or, or whatever you want to call it. And there's only going to be more, and there's a chance to get more in add-ons and stuff like that. So it just looks like it's going to be a huge game, wide open. I fancy a solo play, there's a solo scenario. I fancy playing carp, there's those. Fancy fighting each other, there's those. Very flexible system. So, and and they've said that the into the first edition was a modular board. In fact, I'll let you talk, and then I'll go on about that. I'm actually enjoying hearing all the stuff that that's coming in the game. Yeah, big big fan of this war of mine so anyone involved with that I, I, I automatically know that they're competent and it's a subject matter that certainly interests me and I'm thoroughly glad you're buying it <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> um, so they've taken away a modular board which was in the first edition and some people have moaned about it because they say well that's going to remove flexibility and it means it's all going to be the same boards at the same time but what their answer was with the modular board it was hard to then keep control and keep actual narratives that made sense because we didn't know what you're going to encounter where but by setting the board as non-modular we then have more control of what stories we can tell you which to me made a lot of sense yeah and i would rather that that's how they put in the variety because it's less chaotic but still gives you freedom and in terms of yeah a sandbox game with a structured narrative really appeals to me and it seems like it's going to offer what I didn't get from Fallout or Western Legends. In terms of the modular board, Ronan, could they not have just had a had a prescriptive, like, here you go, this is the setup for this scenario, and then they could control the story, surely? Yeah, but I think that's controlling the story too much because they want it to be sandbox so that when you start off on a particular path, the path can branch. So you don't know. When you start doing something, it's not like, oh, it's definitely going to go this way. The, the path can branch, things can get added to the map, this now becomes a vital place you need to get to, or no, the hideout is over there this time. But they wanted to control where the hideout can go, not it's down to a draw, because if the hideout comes out and it's right next to, I don't know, the the camp you've got to get to to get the thing to beat the, the dudes in the hideout, then it's really next to each other, that's a really easy setup. If they're miles apart, obviously it's way more difficult. I think they wanted control of things like that, 
of how much where you had to go and what you had to do to, right. to control difficulty. Fair enough. And yeah, your sort of analogy between the Western Legends and Fallout. I think in my mind it sounds a lot more similar to Fallout because I've found with Western Legends is the story and this sort of sandbox idea. It, it, it hasn't really materialised. Yes, you can go anywhere in Western Legends. You can do do what you choose to do, but the storyline isn't really the strongest element of the game for sure. Whereas in Fallout, I think the story is actually quite strong and it does make basic sense within the game, doesn't it? Basic. Basic. It does <laughs> there's a couple of yeah. there's a couple of anomalies when you go and you kind of had to dig around in the same area for a little bit for the the card that you knew was in there to come up. But other than that, I think it does make sense. It wasn't. It didn't feel sandbox though. It wasn't like wide open enough. The same encounters came up a lot. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, things would pop up exactly where someone else was, and you'd start a story. And how would that person know? Yeah, where, yeah. That I, I triggered a story point, and then they're like, "Oh, I know where that is. I'll, I'll finish that story and take the reward." But I spoke to someone. You don't know. I spoke to someone <laughs> twenty miles away. It's little things like that that I hope they'll make more sense out of. Because what what they've shown to me is that they're good at creating a game with not loads of rules and loads of exceptions. The rules make sense and give you the framework to enjoy the story within. When you were first bringing it, it's definitely Mad Max in the box, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I did kind of say it's a bit Mad Maxy. There's um, there's two stretch goals I'm particularly interested in. By the way, go on then. The spot UV on the box has been achieved. Oh, well, I'm in. I'm in. As long as spot and guess UV what else in. you get with it? <laughs> Is you there get an illustrated law guide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've hit the gold and silver of rubbish stretch goals. So we'll have to do some investigating, Ronan. We'll have to. Get someone to tell us what spot UV is, what box has it, and what box doesn't, so we can look, just compare and like work out what what actually is spot UV. Oh, we're gonna have to because it feels like something I don't want to do. Oh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. <laughs> we're gonna have we to can't know. critique this thing because we might look at it and go, you know what, that box it made me cry. It's just the beauty of it. Right, might. let's do some live investigation. I'm, I'm typing <laughs> in Spot UV on my phone now. You feel, by all means. Anything else you've been playing? Any other games you've been looking at? Uh, okay, I'll feel for you. So, Final Frontier Games, what the guys that did uh, Robin Hood, which we uh, reviewed, um, had mixed opinions on in our last game. They've got a Kickstarter at the moment. I'm having a little sniff direct. Colombo or something along those lines. That, that's good. That's good. Wrong name saying. <laughs> Colombo, Colombo. It's not Colombo. No, Colombo, Colombo. Right. Uh, I was interested in that until I saw the Final Frontier logo on it. Ah, you're harsh. You're harsh. They've got. A, they've got a show. They've, they can edit rules and develop a game properly, not just come up with a good idea. They have a an interesting sort of rondel system where there's a partition, a play thing that moves around inside the rondel and blocks off spaces. So you can't get the full action or the full power of an action. And uh, however many people go to each section, it depends that's going to sort of tell you how many actions you can get or how powerful your action is. That put me off it because it, that felt really combative so that's the thing that kind of put me off that one. The rest of it, it's they're using the artwork from the Miko again, and 
the actions themselves all sound, sounded pretty decent and I was interested right up until I saw that real scramble for the rondel in the middle and it kind of, yeah, I, I think it would be a little bit too too punchy for me. Bless you. Bless Spot UV. Go on then. You know when you got the box and then like the writing or whatever is slightly shinier than the rest of it? Right. So like if you if you move it in light, it kind of yeah, dink, dink, yeah. dink, 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 dink. <laughs> yeah. So like you know, if you look is at that, the box of Luna, is that the dictionary? Is that the dictionary description? The dink, dink on the box cover. Did you get what I meant? Not really. Do you mean not really? Dink, dink was the perfect thing. You, you know, like right, let's say you got the box to Luna that for your for your deluxe edition, Natch, that and you pick it up and all of it doesn't like. And then just the lunar name, as you move it in the light, it goes, the light is more shiny off it. Go, ding, ding, the light is, you know what I mean? It's glossier, but only parts of it. Yeah, 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 I think I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, know. I think I know what you mean. So one of the stretch goals is to make the name on the box, dink, dinkier. Dink, dinkier. Okay, brilliant. Now we Do know. you know, that might, that might have just replaced the art and law guide as the worst stretch goal in Kickstarter now that I know exactly what <laughs> I, mean. yeah, I was wondering why that was your second worst. That is way worse. Just something that's a bit dink dinkier. Yeah, but the, the art and law guide like takes up space and weight and you know, it, it might cost me 50p extra in shipping. Like It's a thing. I don't, like, save the world. Don't make those. No one wants those things. No one wants those flipping books. No, I'm not interested. <laughs> Stephen Bonacore, he's got a he's got a Kickstarter out. He's re-released Aftershock with its slightly different name. Are you are you aware of the whole story behind all this now? I believe so. I think yeah, they, people were saying that the game had us. It was the same as some other game, same name, and people. Were... It was the same name, but it was a it was a charity released game that was for uh, how to recover things after earthquakes, right. and every it was kind of sold in academic circles and all the profits went to charities. Right. I think that's what was more of the controversy that the people themselves were like, look, we don't want people thinking that if they buy your game, that money's going to go to charity out of it, Right, gotcha. which was what the whole discussion was about. And that's why it's now Aftershock San Francisco, I believe. Right. Fair it's going to do well. It's Alan Moon. It's Stronghold. It's Alan people Moon, know yeah, they're going to yeah, get their sure. game. I think it's already, already funded. It's Col- sure it is. Coloma. Coloma. Just, just for the, I just was looking up there. Not Col- just one more thing. No, no, that was me being Colombo again. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I've back Waste Nights. Nice, And nice. The, other, the only little point I was going to make was that I understand the reservations about Kickstarter, especially with like Ninja Division folding or near enough folding and people looking like they're going to lose money in that. I do get it. I do understand what people describe as Kickstarter games, poorly developed ones, ones that are flash above substance. But the people who completely dismiss Kickstarter, to me, are, do whatever you want to do. They're doing themselves a disservice. Because in the first two or three months of this year, the most exciting releases that have been available for me, 90% of them have been on Kickstarter. And it's a case of spending a little bit of time, putting a bit of effort in, checking a rule book, seeing what's out there, not getting blinded by the bling. And... I wouldn't understand limiting myself by saying I'm never looking at Kickstarter. I never back a Kickstarter game. I'm never going to put money into it. Look at the top releases of the last year or two, the ones that are higher up in the ratings, the ones that have got the most buzz. Look at how many of them started on Kickstarter. And why are you cutting off that huge block of innovative games from your gaming collection? I wouldn't understand. Five years ago, 
you probably had a some some sort of semblance of a point in that a lot of the games that were coming from Kickstarter were, their, were a certain type of game. They were minis heavy and a lot, a lot of bling, but not really sort of depth of game. But now, like Gloomhaven, that's all you have. Like Gloomhaven came through Kickstarter and Scythe came through Kickstarter. So you've got to, you've got to keep your eyes open because there are some absolute gems that go straight to the top of the BGG ratings and stay there for a long time. Yeah. I agree, and it's not. I'm not saying you've got to go out and back every Kickstarter game going. I just don't understand the mentality of completely blocking yourself off from it. And there's a lot of noise, and there's a lot of overhype, and there's loads of Kickstarter games that are a flash in the pan for the month or two when they're up on Kickstarter, and then they disappear, and they come out and they're a disappointment. But you use your own judgment whenever you're buying a game, right? You know, even the new ones that come out, you're like, mm, this person likes it, that person doesn't like it, why do they like it, why don't they like it? Okay, I think it's worth a go. Going to Essen, you use your judgment. These are the games I'm most excited about. I just would advise people to use your judgment and give Kickstarter a chance rather than block it off completely. And I also, just, just to finish one, I think there is a lot more information readily available. People are learning how to do Kickstarter campaigns. They are getting people who can explain their game on board, the likes of... Rado or Slicker Drips or Paul Grogan, they they're doing videos that that give you a good feel for the game before you make that purchase. So it's like going to Essen and sitting down and getting a demo of the game, but in in the comfort of your own living room. And people are putting the rules up earlier. Yes, like there are people who, <laughs> as in Robin Hood, where the rules aren't brilliant. But for every one of those... This well, that certainly turned out to be a red flag. <laughs> I, I enjoy it still. Never mind. And, yeah, the information is there for you to make an informed decision rather than a, a stab in the dark like it used to be. Lovely. Sean, this episode feels like a stab in the dark at... I don't know. I was trying to make that work, but it's it's, it's a Sunday a morning. Stabbing just the dark at entertainment that missed wildly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Okay. Any passing thoughts or wisdom for our listener before we leave? I think the the theme of this for me has been uh, try before you buy. If it, even if it's just going and finding those informa- information on videos and what have you, and those how to play rules or. Going to board game maybe cafes. maybe even a pit stop or a pit and having stop. a look and see go. oh yeah there you go there's an idea <laughs> and or going to a board game cafe and sitting down and playing a few of those games like games like Reef were on my definitely on my radar as something that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I if I hadn't had the opportunity to to see how it played and play it for myself I may well have picked it up on a trade or if it. If, if I saw it cheap, go go and cheap somewhere. Now I know to stay away and to put a hex on it so it never comes near me. Put a hex on it? <laughs> it's Warlock? What's going on? <laughs> and kill a squirrel? <laughs> Cut my own eyeball out? I don't know. What, where are you going? Just to keep it away from me. Whatever works. Okay, good. That's fine. It's not coming near you, Sean. You can rest at night. It's all right. Use the information and the resources you have to, to make the decision so you're not wasting your, your money like I've done for many, many years now. <laughs> Poacher turned gamekeeper. <laughs> I think my wisdom was the try not to dismiss Kickstarter entirely. But 
but approach with caution. That was it, really. It's been an absolute pleasure, Sean. What's next for the game pit? So what is, what is next, Rodan? We've got the UK Games Expo starting to starting to loom. We have to get our applications in for that. Um, have you not applied yet? No, I didn't even see. Why? It. I didn't even see it until like yesterday. I'm going to send off the thing today. Get it applied, my good man. They're nice <laughs> to us anyway. Uh, I tell well, what's next? In as you're struggling, this we've got. Um, we might do an aircon episode because we'll have been at aircon by the time you guys hear this. If we've played enough stuff that's new, that's not up for our review soon, and and we will talk about it in there. Otherwise, we're likely to roll aircon into our picking over the bones because we're bringing our, our those six games there and hoping to play them a few times. We have got the top ten of two thousand and nine that we promised. That is probably going to be the next episode. If not, it'll be the second one. Okay, and also we're starting to think about our. Games of the Year from 2018. Yes, yeah, we do have to get that done. You are correct. So that'll be coming, uh, winging its way soon, hopefully. We'll hopefully get somebody else involved in that as well, Ronan. We'll see if anyone passes the muster. It's quite a rigorous test. We text them and say, are you available? And they say yes or no. Normally, no, don't like you. Who are you? Stop texting. Have you got my number for the seventh time after I keep changing it? Something like that. Yeah, so thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. As ever, we're proud members of the Dice Tower Network. If you want to get hold of us, get us on social media. We're active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Game Pit Podcast. And if you want to email us, thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and all the other spiel that Sean usually does that I've forgotten. But thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Allen. Bye-bye.